And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Your readings, and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And I am joined once again. By my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of yeah. Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN yeah. Radio, Doug Glanville. And Doug, perhaps you've noticed, I'm sitting here in Starkville's Camp Nashville, otherwise known yeah. as the meetings. So I'm here. Right a few feet away, I see the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster. He's here. <laughs> So, yes, <laughs> Doug, where the heck are you? <laughs> ah, I am still uh, probably about a thousand miles away or, short, or so, but um, I'm actually covering winter meetings at ESPN. So we're doing uh, every night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're going to cover, uh, you know, the happenings of the day. Uh, a little slow the first day or so that we were uh, covering this. We had Adam Otovino. <laughs> of the New York Mets or free agent, I guess, at this point. So that's what I'll be doing. So I'm here in Connecticut just getting ready to uh, head over to Bristol and talk some baseball after full days of trades and action and Otani signings. All right. Well, I've observed this in the past when I'm here and you're not. Look, everybody who is anybody in baseball, they're right here. So I know I asked you this last year, but if you're not here, should people read anything into that? Well, I don't think so. Uh, you know, it could be, I could be very secretive. Like Otani doesn't want anyone to know where he's yeah. visiting. Yeah. So it's similar to that. I, for all you know, I could actually be in Nashville. Um, you know, you just can't, you can't really tell. So, you know, you just never know. I might turn around and appear in that river that goes through the hotel. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> is that what it is? Um, actually, you know, that's one of my theories is that maybe you were traveling with Otani, helping him sort through his options. And so if that's true, Doug, you can tell us, where is Shohei going to sign? Come on, you know. Tell the world. I I absolutely do. Teaneck, New Jersey, the new expansion (laughs) of uh, where I grew up. Nobody thinks to look for him there, that's for sure. See, element of surprise. Never know. Uh, Okay, I'm not going with Teaneck. I'm I'm actually leaning now toward Toronto. Listen, Ooh. if he actually visited Dunedin, Florida, the least Shohei-esque place that I could ever imagine him, <laughs> I, I think that's a sign that he's serious about the Blue Jays. And I, I look, I know they are extremely motivated to make yeah. him a Blue Jay. Uh, it, it would be an excellent place for him to be the biggest star in yet another country and still stay wrapped in his little comfort zone. And I think that's a yeah. huge fact. We talked about it. Before, uh, somebody said to me yesterday, uh, if he wanted to be a Dodger, wouldn't he already be a Dodger? And I don't know the answer to that, but there might be some truth in it. Um, you know, I've had people who are close to him tell me he already knows where he wants to go, you know. So why is he going through this whole dance? Uh, I would say we will know soon. Uh, I'm going to guess it's not going to be T-Neck. You want to change your answer? Uh, well, he surprised us with the Angels, so I think anything's possible. So I'm going to stay with T-Neck for, for a bit until further notice. All right. Glanville's sticking with his answer. 
wherever it is, though, there's a really good chance we might talk about it right here on the Athletic Baseball Show. Uh, Doug, you know what else we should talk about since we're in Nashville? How about baseball coming to Nashville? Major League Baseball, because I think that's happening. So here's what we're going to do. Why don't we talk to a man who knows all about that? Hey, I'm so excited to welcome in this week's special guest here in Starkville because he's always been one of my favorite people in baseball to talk to going way back to when he was pitching against Philadelphia before he became a megastar. It's Dave Stewart. Stu, welcome to Starkville. It's good to see you, man, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, really excited to have you here. And first reason you're here, for the last three years, uh, you've been trying to get Major League Baseball to bring a team to Nashville. Why don't, why don't we start by having me ask you this? How did that come about? You know, it's a, it's a crazy story. Um, it, it started off actually with a, 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 a friend from California <clears throat> that moved here initially to, you know, get back, well, to get out of California, which everybody's trying to do <laughs> these days. <laughs> Um, but in leaving California, he had a daughter that was going to uh, University of K- Kentucky. His wife had roots here in Nashville, and and his son was out here. And so he decided to move family out here and and come and and just make life easier. Um, the announcement from the commissioner came about expansion in you know Montreal and and uh, Charlotte, Nashville, Mexico City. Um, Austin, Texas was a part of that. At that time, Las Vegas and Portland. Yeah. And, you know, once you start doing the thinking and, you know, we're baseball people, you start doing the thinking and the commissioner had already said it was going to be a two team uh, expansion. We started doing the thinking and we said, well, Montreal, Charlotte and Nashville are the Eastern teams. And, and then you start narrowing down the, the pros and cons. Yeah of Nashville over the other two. Um, and so I won't go over the cons of the other twos, but I will go over the pros of Nashville. Um, as he was moving here, so were a lot of other people um, from the West coast that were migrating to Nashville, one of the fastest growing states and cities in, in the country. Um, there was already the predators, the Titans and the, the Nashville soccer team here, all yeah. being successful and successfully supported. Um, then you look at the tourism, um, which is year round all the time, nonstop. Yeah, there's the music here. <laughs> yeah. And then there's music, <laughs> then there's music and there's food, the culture, um, and there's corporate businesses that are moving here left and right. And so when you, mm. you take all of that and you put it together, um, we felt that this was the best place to, to, to plant our feet and, and give it a go. And, you know, that was three, four years ago. And now we're four years later. Um, it's Nashville has been talked about prominently um, in, in terms of players wanting to be here yeah. and play here. Um, tourism is at its all time high. There have been other non-baseball events that have been here that have been off the charts. Um, it's just a great city, um, great people. And we feel that because there's strong sports support here anyway. Um, baseball will be another piece of the puzzle, major sport that will come here and garner great support. Yeah, well, you, you know this, but uh, here at The Athletic, we did a survey of players this year. Where would you like to see baseball expand? And nearly 70% said Nashville. And nobody else was even close, any city. And so that's telling us something. Uh, I, I guess let me ask you the big question assuming baseball does expand at some point in the next few years what is your level of certainty that nashville will be one of the places that has a team well we can't be certain um that that's going to come down to um, obviously the commissioner's decision um i think it would be difficult to ignore you know, all that we know about Nashville already and what the city is about and, and all of the things that I've just ex- explained to you and demonstrated to you, I think it would be different, difficult to ignore that. But at the same time, I mean, 
there's more to it than just being the city. We have to we have to know what the political support is for baseball here, which I think plays a major part of it. Um, and you know, once those things are solved, then we got to look at what, what's what's happening with Oakland, which has been ongoing. Even though we've got relocation, we need more surety of of what's going to happen with their stadium situation. And then Tampa falls in that same thing. And you know, Rob has been very clear that. Um, he does not plan to move baseball forward until those things are solid. So um, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, I, you know, if I was a betting man, uh, I wouldn't bet everything I have. <laughs> but I bet a lot of what I have that uh, this will be one of the expansion cities. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good bet. And um, since you brought up Oakland and you brought up Tampa Bay, both of them seem like they're headed toward new ballparks. Obviously, the A's are not going to be in Oakland if things go the way they appear. Mm-hmm. But you have a good read on that situation, both situations, I would imagine. You see both those things happening, both those parks getting built the way people are talking and acting? Um, you know, my interaction with the A's, which is not a lot, but enough. Um, they feel confident that they're going to get their stadium situation taken care of. Um, I don't have any communication with Tampa at all, but you know, they've got two potentials, two potential sites to, to, to build a stadium and move that process forward. Um, and so there is no reason to believe, especially with this being something that major league baseball strongly wants that it won't happen. Um, I think it's more of the timing of it. Obviously the A's have taken 20 years um, in their stadium situation and Tampa has been a while now. And, and um, so I I would think that the preference is to have it sooner than later. Um, And I don't know that there are any deadlines for that to happen, but it is a sooner than later situation for major league baseball sooner always beats later yes, in life. Of course. <laughs> All right, speaking of which let's beam in doug glanville sooner <laughs> or later he's not sitting at the table here but through the miracle of technology we understand still ask questions is that true doug we can still do it um so uh well still I've, I've read a, a decent amount about the nashville opportunity and i know you've spoken a lot about how it's an opportunity to build bridges uh, you know, you, t- you talk about the diversity of the leadership, the group that you're putting together or part of. Uh, can you talk about the value of that, why that's important to really have this representative leadership going into this process? Well, I mean, when you when you look at Major League Baseball, the 100 year old sport, um, <clears throat> Artie Moreno is, is the lone the lone minority in baseball ownership. And I mean, Major League Baseball has an initiative to grow the game. And in that initiative, it means having participation more from the Afro-American community. Um, the numbers have dwindled down to 6.2 players in the game. Um, when I was playing, it was 20%. Um, Doug, you're much younger than me. I don't know what your percentages were, <laughs> but it was 20% when I was in the game. And so... Um, there's an initiative with Major League Baseball to grow the game. Um, when you look at some of the things that they're doing, even in their, in their offices, you're seeing more people of color. You're seeing more women, more women of different nationalities and colors. Um, this year we had an HBCU All-Star Game at the All-Star Game in Seattle. Next year we're going to honor Willie Mays and the Negro Leagues in Mobile, Alabama. And so they're – they're having initiatives that point to timing uh, for Major League Baseball to turn the next page, which is for an opportunity for a diverse ownership like mine. Um, but even more importantly, when we say bridge the gap, you know, this will offer an opportunity for people in general to understand that this recipe, this blueprint works. Um, not just in baseball, but in every business across the country and in every part of the country. And so, um, you know, I, 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 I don't think that it's a dream. I think that this is something that can happen and will be successful. And I think that Major League Baseball, um, in its own way, they see that this to be an opportunity as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, Stu, since we're at the winter meetings, you know, it's given me an opportunity to ask some people in baseball what they see. And, you know, there's been one thing that has come up that could be a potential obstacle to Nashville, and that is geographic territories, right? That the Braves might have an issue with it, that the Reds might <clears throat> somehow have an issue with it, that the Cardinals could have an issue with it. Um, what's your level of concern that – any of those could be a factor. You know, I, I'll be honest. I try not to get involved in that. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to leave that to be, uh, I want to leave that to the commissioner. Um, and we've had no real conversation about that. Um, <clears throat> what I would point to is that, you know, the A's and San Francisco Giants existed 20 minutes away from each other. The An- Anaheim Angels and the Los Angeles Dodgers are 45 minutes away from each other. Um, the Anaheim Angels and the San Diego Padres are less than two hours away from each other. And so I don't know that territory is that big of an issue. Um, I, I do believe that is a, it is difficult when you've held on to territory as those three franchises have for as long as they have. Um, it's difficult to let it go. Um, but I, I, I think that we can all coexist in, in the territories. I don't think there's any doubt that you could coexist. Uh, <laughs> you know how baseball moves. Mm-hmm. It can, like, w- we can be in favor of sooner, not later. Baseball sometimes moves a lot more slowly than we would like to see it move, but I uh, certainly hope it happens. And yeah. uh, So one more question on this. It, okay, let's assume everything falls into place. Oakland goes to Vegas. Tampa Bay gets the ballpark built. No objections from any of those markets we just talked about. You're, you have your ownership, your ballpark plans. Everything's lined up. Opening day, Nashville baseball. What year do you think that could happen? You know, we know that we've got a CBA in 26. And my guess would be that this is not going to happen before that. Um, you know, it's been it's been whispered, and today I heard it was said um, in the commissioner's uh, uh, interview um, that he would plan to have shovels in the ground in 28. And so I'm going to take his word as the gospel that in 28 we'll have shovels in the ground. Um, I was hoping that we'd be playing baseball by 28, <laughs> uh, at least minor league baseball by 28, <laughs> and, and playing major league baseball in 29. But you know, I'll I'll take 28. Yeah, could be worse. Doug, do you have one more on Nashville before we move on to Oakland? Well, I know you talk about the stars uh, in terms of like name and how you're carrying that legacy, uh, you know, with the Negro League. So, I mean, why why was that important to you? Um, well, the Negro League baseball, Negro League baseball, um, it's everything that I am. It's everything that that you are. Um, Without that league actually taking place, without it happening, without I mean, my mentors when I first came into professional baseball were Roy Campanella and uh, and uh, Don Newcomb. Those were the first faces I met when I was a Dodger, and having sit downs with them on a day to day basis and talking to them about the impact of Jackie Robinson on the sport and the impact on them being able to come in the game because of Jackie. Um, is important. I think it's important to carry that legacy if we can do that. And so to be able to honor the Negro Leagues for the first time in the major leagues by bearing that name, I think is important and I think it has value. 
All right, we've we've touched on Oakland a little bit so far, but you grew up in Oakland. Your greatest years as a baseball player were in Oakland. And it's just mind-blowing, I'm sure to both of us, that in a few years, there won't be any baseball in Oakland. Nobody could be closer to it than you. What do you think went wrong? Well, you know, I've had, uh, you know, I've spent probably 18 years of my life after baseball as a negotiator for, for players. And I always look at the negotiation with players and the deals that I got done and the deals that I didn't get done. <clears throat> the deals I got done, um, I was willing to sit in the room for multiple hours late in the morning to pound a deal out because that's what I really wanted. But it was also displayed to me by the other side that that's what they really wanted. Um, this Oakland A saga story um, has been going on for 20 years before, even before the Fisher um group took over this that's, team that's true um they were trying to find a new place to play um a better facility mm-hmm. to play um and it just never happened and 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 so i personally I, I hate that the a's are leaving it's heartbreaking for me i know the history in the background of the city and the athletes the baseball athletes that have coming out have come out of the bay area um and that's not to mention football we've got those we got a ton of basketball athletes there's a rich rich tradition of of athletics in the bay area but when the raiders leave when the warriors return to san francisco and there's a behind the story um even with the warriors on why it didn't work to stay in oakland um i won't fault the city of oakland but they they have blame they have great blame um, I won't place all the blame on the Oakland A's, but they do have great blame for this not happening. Um, and and it, it was just a, they couldn't come together um, in time uh, to make this happen. I, I think that Oakland was a late get was late getting to the dance, and um, and and so the A's they made a decision, and I think there was some pressure from Major League Baseball to get it done. They made a deal to get it done. You know, but you just said this. Look, this Oakland had to happen. There's no excuse for baseball not to continue in Oakland. Um, What, like, what, whatever happened, it's the result of a lot of people on both sides who just missed the big picture. The big picture was baseball in Oakland. It was better for Major League Baseball. It was better for Oakland than this outcome. How could how could the fighting over each side's individual interests have never found a common ground on that key point? I mean that that for me is 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 the is the the point I guess I initially started to make that um, they just didn't want it bad enough. Neither side. Yes, and 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 the 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 community suffers, and the fans suffer. I suffer from knowing what I know and being where I've been and the memories that I have. I suffer, um, but but the two sides just didn't see see the the bigger picture strong enough to get it done. Mm-hmm. Doug, you have some thoughts on this? Well, you know, Stu, I'm I'm curious as a memento. Uh, any of your favorite memories of, of being in an Oakland A or being part of that Oakland baseball community? Well, my favorite memory of being a part of the Oakland A community is when I met Reggie Jackson as a young kid, um, going out to the ballpark and hiding out in the right field bleachers <laughs> and collecting baseballs through BP and watching Reggie with his back to the infield, looking at me and my cousins gathering baseballs and then eventually meeting him in the tunnel after the game and, him calling us a bunch of smart asses and, <laughs> and and what are we doing in that tunnel? And, you know, I said, Hey man, we, we were just trying to get an autograph. My cousin had caught a baseball from uh, Rick Mundy and uh, he was trying to get the ball signed and Rick Mundy came out of the tunnel um, and didn't sign the baseball and told us to go home because it was a school night. <laughs> and Reggie was shortly behind him and the last player out of out of the clubhouse, by the way. 
And that's when he called us a bunch of smart asses because when we were in the seats, he kept saying, Oh man, Finley's going to kick us out of the stadium <laughs> because we had snuck in. And we told him, Well, old man Finley couldn't keep us from coming in the stadium. So how's he going to kick us out? And you know, for us, he didn't, there was no security. So who was he fooling, right? <laughs> so we were in the tunnel and, and Reggie uh, eventually asked us where we live and, and, and we told him and, he did say it was a school night. And what are we doing so late? We told him and, and he said, uh, you know, well, how are you getting home? And we told him that our bikes were chained at, at this uh, gas station and that we were going to walk to the gas station and bicycle home. And he asked us if we wanted a ride. And I told him, man, she, you know, my, my parents, they told us never take rides from a stranger. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Reggie slow drove uh, behind us we were fast walking and, and actually a little bit of a trot to our bicycles, which were blocks away. And, and he slow rode and watched us get on our bicycles. And literally we lived blocks from the Coliseum. We got to our house and he rode behind us and he, and he drove off and he literally made sure that we were safe. Wow. Getting to, to my house and, and then drove down our street a few times. And it took us a long time to warm up to take tickets from him. But we were always at the games. And, you didn't um, need no tickets. Yeah, we, we, we were season ticket holders. Yeah. Minus the actual tickets, yeah. <laughs> and that, that is my fondest memory um, of, of Oakland and, and the Oakland A's. Um, I was actually meeting Reggie, who um, I consider to be a big brother now. And, you know, I, I went on to, to become a professional, as we all know. But I had lost track of Reggie and – the first time I'd seen Reggie since I was drafted was when we played the Yankees in the 1981 World Series. Wow. And he had no idea who I was, and I was walking up, <laughs> I was walking up with my son at that time, and he was out taking batting practice. And you know, if you know Reggie, he's serious about his extra yeah, work. And when he stepped out of that cage and I asked him to take a picture with my son, and he asked me what team I played for. And I said, I play for the Dodgers. Well, at first he said, are you media? I said, no. <laughs> what are you doing here? I said, I play for the Dodgers. And he said, he, man, you see what I'm doing here? I'm getting my preparation in. You hit me, <laughs> me take pictures. You have me wasting my preparation. Man, what is wrong with you? And I said, Reggie, is me. And he says, you who? I said, I said Dave Stewart. He said, little Stu? <laughs> yeah, that is me. And that broke the ice. And from 81, um, and we're now in 2023, um, we communicate with each other on a regular basis. And it, it was just great to reunite with him and now carry a childhood relationship into my adulthood. Wow, what a tremendous story. Um, I, I, I'd like to ask it this way, because I think about this all the time. Do you think back on what the ballpark was like and what your teams were like when you played in Oakland, it was something special. We played in a great facility. Um, we could, when it was the ballpark we played in, we could see the Oakland Hills and right. the skyline. And before the footballization yeah, of it. Before that happened. I mean, it was a great place to play baseball, um, a fair ballpark at night um, and a fair ballpark in the daytime, believe it or not. Um, people talk about it now and how unfair it is with all foul territory. And I, I, I will give you some of that, but it was a great place to come and watch baseball. And, you know, when I think about our teams and believe me, I don't take it for granted um, because I've got relationships today that I carry from that time. Ricky Henderson, I actually grew up with playing baseball with him in Oakland, uh, but Carney Lansford and Dennis Eckersley, you know, Dave Henderson has passed, but it's a great relationship that I had in the game, carried after the game. Tony Phillips in the game and after the game. Bobby Welch, who has passed, was, I mean, the relationships, Dave Parker, Terry Steinbach. I mean, I could sit here and think about <laughs> all the guys that I still communicate with from those teams and how great a period of time we were in. But, you know, what's crazy is when you're in it, you don't get a chance to really appreciate it and and after the game is done and, and you know, you're sitting on the couch and you're watching today's baseball and you get a chance to think back, um, you know, we really had an opportunity to do some great things. We missed an opportunity to win three, but we did win one. But those were some great teams. Yeah. I mean, 
it's it's so sad that all we're going to have is the memories. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's all anybody in Oakland's going to have unless they expand there. Um, I, I, one more thing on this: Is baseball in Vegas going to work? You know, I don't know. I, I think the A's are hoping that um, they can create the same magic that the Raiders did in um, Vegas. Uh, from what I understand, the 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 Las Vegas Raiders were one of the highest uh, revenue uh, teams in, in in NFL football. It's a lot um, more games. Yeah, and so I don't know if they can be successful or not. Quite frankly, I don't know. Um, I do know that if if you're putting the same product on the field that they have the last two years. I think success is going to be difficult, um, but they promised that they're going to put money into the team. And so we'll see. I, I really don't know how that market's going to be for, for the A's. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch, man. Uh, I, I can't let you leave without asking you about starting pitching and the state of starting pitching, because <laughs> when I look back on you in Oakland. You did something. Nobody's ever going to do it again. You had 41 complete games in four years. There's no active pitcher that even has 30. Justin Verlander is the leader, I think, with 28, 26, yeah. something yeah. like that. So how do you look at how starting pitchers are handled? Now? I look at it seriously as the game has changed and the game has brought what it's brought to Major League Baseball, but I also know this, that Major League Baseball in the pitching department can't survive doing what it's doing at this time. It, it will kill relievers for sure. Starters are going to have to do more in the game. I was listening to Ted Simmons the other day on oh, yeah. one of the networks. Yeah, he was yeah. talking about 4.9 innings is as much as starters go. That can't last in baseball. It, it can't last and the game be successful. Starting pitchers are going to have to get more to the six and seven inning range. You're going to have to see more complete games because there are reasons to save your bullpen. Um, um, There are reasons to do that. And those things have to happen for teams to be successful for a complete season. Um, If you look at the teams uh, in the world series this year, that, that um, the winning team was a team that, um, that had better starting pitchers and starting pitchers that were capable of going a little bit, a little bit longer in games. And I think that that has to happen. Yeah. Um, I couldn't agree more. You know, you came up with the Dodgers and you used to come to spring training and all the Dodger legends were roaming around Dodger town. Mm-hmm. How many of them were starting pitchers and think about what those guys represented in the game. You know, I learned from Don Sutton um, Al Downing was a, was a part of my group at that time. Um, I had an opportunity, as I told you, to, to talk to Don Newcomb. Uh, Don Drysdale used to come through. Sandy Koufax is one of the major factors in me being, being the type of pitcher that I became. Um, it's just, it's important to have those guys talking in your ear. You know, the 421 seasons uh, for me, consecutive seasons, you no, know, if I didn't idolize Bob Gibson, if 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 Fergie Jenkins wasn't one of the guys that I looked at, I would never have aspired to win consecutive twenty game seasons. So those guys were important to me, and I I think that you know it's just important to have those type of people to mentor you and place thoughts in your mind and give you dreams that are accomplished. Yeah, we got. I mean, we've got to incentivize pitchers and teams to get back to that. Mm-hmm. Doug, what what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I mean, I just love looking at the numbers. And uh, you were top five in Cy Young pretty much, you know, consistently. Uh, the 20-game wins, the 250-plus innings. Uh, you know, you mentioned the, the mentors that kind of set that mentality. How did you sustain it? I mean, th- a lot of that happened when you turned 30. So this was like, you know, you were kind of like brewing like a fine wine. Uh, <laughs> what turned that corner in those years? You know, I always had aspirations in the minor leagues. I was a starter, and if you look at my minor league numbers, I put up some great numbers um, as far as innings pitched were concerned. You know, to make the major league team in that period of time, Dodgers starting pitching, as you know, it was some of the best in baseball. And so I had to break in as, as a reliever. And unfortunately, six years of my career, I spent as a spot starter and a reliever. Now, to turn the corner, one, I, I never, ever gave away the dream that I couldn't be a good starting pitcher at the major league level. 
Um, and then to have the opportunity and to have the confidence shown to me by, by Tony La Russa um, is the difference in being what I was and becoming what I eventually became, which is, you know, one of the best starting pitchers in my period of time. Well, Stu, we could talk to you all day, but Doug, you're not going to believe this, but Stu has people to meet with here that are way more important than you and me. I don't know how that's possible, but we're going to take this word for it that he does. Listen, man, it is awesome to have you stop by Starkville live and in person and to catch up. Tremendous. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. And all the best with baseball in Nashville. Hope we're, hope we're watching games here in what year is that again? <laughs> 28. There we go. 2028. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream direct TV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Sliding, catching, and going into the dugout. So the bad news is no trivia this week. Just a little too hard for us to pull off here at the winter meetings. But ready for the good news? Doug Glanville has not gone anywhere. And you know what that means? It means it's time for us to venture down to the dugout. And that's where the great American storyteller, Doug Glanville <laughs> hangs out this time of year and spins so many great stories of his life and times. And in theory, uh, these are about baseball mostly, but sometimes they'll veer in other directions. So I, I can't wait to see where this week's tale takes us because our topic for the week is what else Hall and Oates. And by that, I mean <laughs> Mel Hall and Johnny Oates. I mean Doug's all-time favorite singers, band, duo, Hall and Oates. Uh, if you listen to this show, uh, it's come up that these are Doug's all-time favorites. But the reason to bring it up now, of course, is Hall and Oates are having a little dust-up. Uh, by which I mean, Doug... They're suing each other. <laughs> Actually, it's just Hall who is suing Oates. But um, nevertheless, that's caused some issues. So, Doug, wh what better time for you uh, to tell us how you knew these two guys personally, right? And if I remember, yeah. this has something to do with baseball. It does. Um, and it did. Well, it's uh look, this is this is a long history and um and uh I go back to kiss on my list. You have to go back to the early 80s when I first saw them and I didn't have cable at the time, so I didn't have MTV. So I'd catch them on like Friday night videos and you know, they, that's when they were starting to come into their number one hits. And uh so I pretty much was hooked early on and uh and I think the dynamic was interesting because uh, you know, culturally, you, you listen to them and, you know, we didn't have videos as much until those 80s. So it was like I heard gospel, I heard church, I heard things that were familiar to me in my 
was particularly my mom's side of the family. And then when I first saw them and I realized like, oh, this is not a black band. <laughs> it was a little stunning because, you know, they had the sounds of, of something that I associated with, with church. And, you know, Daryl Hall's, you know, father was, a, I think, a Methodist pastor and reverend. And, uh, you know, they had that, that history. Now, for me, once I sort of dove into exploring their music and that that's the hit started rolling you know private eyes and man eater and all these these groups these songs uh when i was in sixth grade my teacher andy six was married to john sticks and john sticks was the editor of then a very popular magazine called guitar magazine for the practicing musician and real bona fide musicians would read this and they'd also contribute you know songs music editorials and one of the his key edits editors was uh, or writers was t-bone walk Tom T-Bone Wook, a Philadelphia area guy, bass player. They always say he was the ampersand of Hall and Oates. And uh, <laughs> so he was, he was great. And he passed away, you know, less than 10 years ago. But he was, uh, you know, really a sole part of this group. And, um, and so, you know, they started to, you know, I started talking about the music. And my sixth grade teacher, we graduate elementary school. We go on to, you know, seventh grade middle school. And she invites us back or some of the class back to her house for dinner. So we go there and we're all sitting around and it's like, okay, talking. And at some point music comes up and I tell him Hall and Oates and he's like, oh, really? You know, I know their band certainly well. And he's like, I could, I could introduce you to them. Now imagine I'm like 13 or 14. This is exciting. And uh, he says, no, well, you know, I'm gonna make you work for it. So I remember he took out his magazine and opened it up and there was a, you know, they used to have like these kind of centerfold pictures. I think it was of the group Heart, you know, Nancy Wilson and I forgot the other Wilson. And um, and so he signs on this thing. This is, now keep in mind, this is like 1983 or four. And he says, hey, all right, I'll make a bet with you. If you make it to the major leagues, I will introduce you to Daryl Hall and John Oates. That was the deal. So, you know, I'm 13, 14. I'm like, well, nothing to lose here. So I have this, <laughs> this picture, it's wonderful. And, uh, and now fast forward. You know, I get called up in 1996 and Hall Notes weren't really touring at the time or they were kind of adrift and they reconvened over an album. I think it was in 97 called Marigold Sky. And at the time they started the tour again. And for, sure enough, I was traded to the Phillies, Philadelphia. The, that's the basket of where they grew up and they're in Radio City Music Hall. So I'm making the call, collecting on my and now we're almost approaching 15 years removed of this bet. And, uh, and so I bring all these Phillies jerseys and I sign them and I'm backstage and the, I get these passes from John Six and I'm backstage about to meet Daryl Hall and John Oates. And sure enough, I meet him backstage. Tommy Matola was their first manager. So, you know, I see him backstage. I'm like, that was surreal. And uh, I start talking and, and John was just sort of, you know, hanging out, talking to me. And all of a sudden I hear the drums going for the first song. And I'm just like, don't you have to go out there? He's like, no, nah, man, I got like three minutes, so we can keep talking. <laughs> so, yeah, so we ended up talking, you know, for a long time. I became very cool with their tour manager, uh, who was a huge Cal Ripken fan from the Orioles. And I remember I, I got Ripken to sign spikes for me later in his career, and I gave one of the spikes to his tour manager. And so it started to, like, blossom. I started going shows backstage and became really good friends with John. And at one point uh, on my – I think it was around my birthday – is when Schilling got traded to the Diamondbacks, he came back and we had a day game in Philly. And so they had John Oates come to the game, talk during in between innings, and then come out and change the bases. You know, they used to change their bases every three or four innings. So we built this nice friendship. And, and to this day, I've, you know, I've done stuff for his book tour. I've seen them, you know, tens of times. My kids know their music. And, uh, and baseball has kind of been in the center of it because, you know, multiple times, John Oates' son's first game was a Phillies game that I, invited them to and uh and baseball swirled around so i made this connection that was you know different because i was you know a fan as a kid made this connection through being in sort of the spotlight as an athlete and then seeing how much we really had in common in their music and their style and so you know to the end regardless of what happens you know i you know i understand business and things go awry at different times uh, but they've done music for you know 40 plus 50 years you're talking about uh longevity it's really over 50 years and um, and so I know for me, their music has been a mainstay and, and something that's uh, been central to my life. So when I, you know, was on the Phillies coming out to my walk up, walk up song, we had no can do. I can't go for that. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, it's a hall notes, baseball, 
it's all part of my 80s love and it, it sustains. Uh, but let me get this straight. The, the only reason you made the big leagues is so you could meet Hall and Oates? <laughs> I mean, I was, I, hey, the motivation was there, man. I was like, wait a minute, I can meet these guys. So, uh, yeah. So, and my wife always points out that in my book, uh, Hall and Oates, they're mentioned like six or seven times in my wife. Hall <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> oh, six or seven? What's wrong? <laughs> okay, so, uh, so Doug, we, we've, got a, we've got a serious issue here. Um, say it isn't so, you know? Um, <laughs> have, like, have you digested the fact that these guys are going to sue each other, and because of that, you're never going to see them play, sing, make music again? I don't know. I don't know how it's going to end up because, you know, these groups go through stuff all the time. And then, you know, there might be a reunion. There might not be. Uh, The thing is, like, what I appreciated about them was that if you look at their albums, their covers, it always says Daryl Hall and John Oates. It never says Hall and Oates. And that was part of a testament to, like, they wanted the individuality and maybe Daryl Hall, you know, you know, sort of like a front man later Mm -hmm. in, in, in the 80s. Uh, but they always had this sort of separate you know, world. And John Oates has done tremendous solo work and single work. So I, you can still see them. And they, as of now, they were touring together as well. I don't know if that will continue. But I've seen them, you know, John Oates. I saw him this summer, uh, just one town over. Got to catch John there and go to the sound check and all these things. So, yeah, so I, I think, the you know, I got a lot of funny uh, emails and texts when the news broke about this lawsuit. I can and people, that. yeah. <laughs> People were highly concerned for me. And, and so I remember Mark, Marcus Hayes, the Philly writer, he wrote, um, he's like, uh, well, you know, who's going to get custody of you? <laughs> so who does get custody? Nope. Never. Yeah, you can't pick sides in these guys. You can't pick sides. And um, no, their music is always, um, well, I mean, they have a, such a catalog. I, I'm not worried about their their legacy. I went to their Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction in whatever year that was, 17 or something. So, um, yeah, they they've done it, and um, I think they'll they'll continue to have this amazing catalog, and and uh, they still put out some good work. So, hopefully, you know, they get back together. I remember uh, years ago, I pitched John Oates on, um, you know, there's an album H2O, which is actually on my watch here. If you can see it, okay. So, wait, let me. How do I do that? Oh, it's upside down. Okay. So anyway, it's, it's them staring at each other, right? This is where Maneater and, you know, all these songs come out one-on-one. And uh, so I said, hey, John, you, you could do this, like, take a picture now and call the album Time because now you got two guys 40 years later staring at each other. And then you can write about, like, the evolution of your of your lives. So that was my pitch, you know. So I feel like they've they've done tremendous work. And the fact that they were huge in the 80s, Yet they had started their albums in early seventies. They had like ten albums before they really, you know, had the you know private eyes and all those songs. So uh, they have a lot of musical chops, and I have a lot of respect for what they've done, especially how much they've appealed across different, uh, you know, diverse elements of our of our world. They're very universal in their style. So um, yeah, so hopefully I'll write something about it. I'm you know thinking about it, but for now, baseball was my way in, and. Uh, you know, baseball will remain my love and my love for their music. <laughs> so I hope everybody noticed how delicately Doug danced through this whole thing. <laughs> he, he wants no parts of taking sides here. Watch oh, no. out. They'll chew you up, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> listen, I'm counting on you to restore peace on Earth, or at least peace on Hall and Oates Earth. <laughs> we, we need this to happen, okay? We, if the Glanville can't do it, I'm, I'm just worried about the future of humanity. <laughs> and on that note, I should also mention, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, we'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all off-season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you would like to help your friends or loved ones read any of the amazing coverage of Shohei Otani, the winter meetings, this fascinating baseball offseason now taking place in the athletic. We can tell you how to do that. Uh, if you go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you're buying a gift for a new subscriber, you can buy one of those gifts for just $19.99 for the next 12 months or Two for $39.99. Please don't do that math, but it works out fine. Mm. So there's always that. 
But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show, except for this one, we pick the most fun listener trivia question of the week. And then that lucky listener gets to join us right here and prove once again, there is no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So how could you join us? You can always email us at starkville at theathletic.com. Or to be honest, what most people do is they hit us up with their questions on the site that the ancient settlers used to refer to <laughs> as Twitter. Uh, Doug, I believe you were once an ancient settler. So if someone wanted to join you in your settlement camp on Twitter or X or wherever it may be, where could they find the Doug Glanville encampment? Well, you know, back then we talked about the settlement. I was known as Doug Glanville. Uh, <laughs> now I'm Doug Glanville, formerly known as Doug Glanville on the new system X. So you'll still use the at symbol, so that's fine. And just spell my name out, Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-B-I-L-L-E, and then I'll find you. Yeah, one of the great traditions that they actually called Doug Glanville, Doug Glanville for as far back as any of us can remember. Yeah. As for me, you don't have to call me Jason Stark. You can find me at Jason, S-T-J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Also, please remember to hashtag those questions, Starkville, Q-S. So, Doug. Thanks for playing. Thanks to Dave Stewart for visiting us in person here in Nashville. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Doug and I will see you soon on Starkville. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.